counseling situation with a young man who had been uh, rather brutally sexually abused by a trusted family member for years. And this young man was now trying to put the pieces back together and with that to, uh, to, to learn to trust and believe in God. In the conversation with the minister, the young man was talking about his need to uh, escape the prison of his memories. And that's the phrase he used, that the prison of his memories. He wanted to find a way out of that prison, uh, but, but also to find that, that strength, that, that courage to, to, to forgive the pastor, the counselor, read with them verses from Scripture about forgiveness. And, and the verse he went to was the one where Jesus himself says uh, that we should forgive even as our Father in heaven forgives us. That if you will not forgive those who have sinned against you, then your Father in heaven cannot forgive you your sins. It was that verse that the minister read. And then the young man just looked at him just blankly for several moments, just looked at him blankly and then said, I don't know much about the Bible, but whoever wrote that sure doesn't know what it feels like to have been victimized by your own grandfather. And then he walked out. I don't know what you've been through, and, and I don't know the kind of suffering that some of you may have known. I, I just don't know. But, but God knows. And, and here's the thing. Whether the hurt is deep and lasting or whether it's even something slight... There's still one solution, one answer to the hatred, the rage, the bitterness, that burden that you continue to carry. There's really only one way to break the power that that person continues to have over your life, and that way is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And when you're asked to forgive, commanded actually in Scripture, when we're commanded to forgive, to, to forgive is not to let the person off. To forgive is not to excuse what they've done. It's none of these things. But to forgive is the only way, the only way that you're going to be freed from the prison of your memories, the only way that you're going to find a bridge from the past into the future. It is the way of forgiveness. It is very, very difficult at times. And yet it is to be an everyday way of life for us. So go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. And try our best to talk about everyday forgiveness. What does it look like? How does it work in real lives? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is a familiar story to most of you, the story of the prodigal son. Let's go. Verse 11. To illustrate his point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and 
while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was, say the word, angry. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a, I'm sorry, I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. You've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. I said we're going to talk about how forgiveness looks every day. Some of you are going to say, Pastor Tim, this can't be the story that does that, because the father in this story is absolutely a a perfect forgiver. Would you agree? He he is the the perfect forgiver. And and I guess in this story that Jesus tells that that father in the story is meant to stand in for God, he is a picture of how God forgives. And the father in this story forgives perfectly. It's almost as if he forgives even before the son offends him. It's as if this father just lives in this state of grace and mercy and forgiveness he just forgives. His forgiveness is total. It's complete. There are no strings attached. It's, it, it's, it's before he ever gets an apology. Even before the son comes home, the father is the perfect forgiver. So I guess the question becomes, is that kind of forgiveness possible for one of us? I mean, this is perfect forgiveness like God forgives. Is that even possible for one of us in everyday life? Yes. Yes. Now, it's not common. We don't see this very often, and I don't know if any of us necessarily are demonstrating that kind of forgiveness, but it is possible. It's not possible because of what's in my heart. It's possible because of what Jesus can do in my heart. You understand? It's possible because of Jesus. This is what we're commanded to do. We are expected to forgive quickly, to forgive completely with no strings attached. This is what forgiveness is. And this is what we're commanded to do. It is not easy, but it is possible. Because of Jesus, it's possible. I didn't expect you to agree, but it's possible. 
You probably feel more every day when we get down to the end of the story with the elder brother. Now, if the father is the picture of perfect forgiveness, the elder brother is the picture of of just your typical unforgiver. He doesn't forgive. What does the scripture say about him? He's angry. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. There's a party going on, but the party's gonna happen without the elder brother because you just can't make him happy about much. He's angry, and he's not going to give up his anger. Now, this starts to sound a little more every day, doesn't it? He's angry. What's he angry about? I don't even know. I mean, I read the scripture very closely, and I can't tell. I can't tell if he's mad at the father. He seems mad at the father, doesn't he? My whole life I've lived here, and you never even let me out of sleepover with my friends. I mean, really? Were we talking about you having a party with your friends? But yeah, he's talking about that. That's not even in the story, but all of the sudden, he seems angry at the father, as if the father's not been kind and generous to him. Obviously, angry at his younger brother out there spending money on prostitutes. I mean, he's just angry. And there is such a a nest of anger around his heart. I can't even completely make sense of, of what it is he's angry about. He's just angry. And he will not let go that desire to see his brother punished. He cannot let that go. And so the father says to him, my dear son, You've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. One of the very important principles in Scripture when it comes to forgiveness is the one that you see illustrated right here with this older brother. And it's simply this. Those who will not forgive are usually very forgetful of the forgiveness that has been shown to them. The father says, You stay beside me every day. You live in my house every day. And everything I have is yours. See, you begin to get this picture of this very, very difficult young man, this very difficult son who lives there with the father every day. I'm telling you, it doesn't seem like this son would be a whole lot of fun to have around. He's angry all of the time and bitter. Now, he's a rule follower, and he's always out there. He's always working. But I'm telling you, in this story, you see that one son leaves and leaves the father geographically and physically. But at the end of the story, you can recognize that even in the same house, you can still be very, very far away from the father. And so here is this son, this other son, this older son who's in the house and at the same time doesn't seem to recognize the grace that he receives every single day. The father says, what are you talking about killing a calf? Everything I have is yours. You live in my house. Everything I have is yours. Those who will not forgive are usually forgetting the forgiveness shown them. Feeling forgiven brings the power to forgive. Feeling forgiven, understanding the forgiven, forgiveness that has been shown to you. A couple of weeks ago, I'd, I'd cook supper. That's not the miracle. I cook supper every single night. That's my job. I cook supper. But my wife came home late. She had worked late, and after work, she decided to go, to go walk uh, at, at Living Hope. So she walked, and she came home late. And she walked in the door, put her purse on the table, and said, I am so sorry I'm late. Okay, here's the funny part. We've been married, what, 26 years? In 26 years, that's probably the only time she's ever been late. Seriously, 
The only time she's ever been late was, was that day. Now, in 26 years of marriage, I'm late every day. I mean, every day. And I'm not just a little bit late. I mean, if I tell Casey I'll be home at 6, she probably sets her watch at 7.30 or 8. I mean, I'm not just a little late. I'll be two weeks late. I am always late. And so here's my wife coming in the first time, maybe the only time she's ever been late, and she's apologizing to me. Now, how would it be for me to go, huh, you're late. You're late, girl. I want you to know the roast beef's going to be cold. It's going to be cold because of you being late. You just had to walk. Yeah. Can you imagine me doing that? In 26 years, I'm late every day. She's late one time. Can you even imagine that I would hesitate to forgive her? See, this knowledge that I live by her grace every day, that's just part of it, y'all. It's a miracle she didn't put the pillow over my face while I slept last night. You understand? This woman is a woman of grace and mercy. I'm not kidding you. I live by her grace and her forgiveness all the time. This is a secret of marriage, by the way. Ruth Graham says, anywhere you see a good marriage, you have to have two good forgivers. Two good forgivers. This woman forgives me and blesses me every single day. I can't imagine withholding forgiveness from her. It's that knowledge, it's that awareness of the forgiveness that I've been shown that makes me perfectly willing to forgive her. Feeling forgiven brings the power to forgive. This is why Jesus says, if you don't forgive people when they sin against you, then how can you expect that God will forgive you? Do you understand? That forgiveness, it flows into you, it flows through you and out of you. It's that being forgiven, that acknowledgement that I live by tremendous mercy and grace. That's what gives me the power to extend forgiveness, mercy, and grace to other people. Does that make sense? This is what the Bible says, and this is key. Show me a person who will not forgive, and I will show you a person who has forgotten how much grace they require every single day. We all live by and require a great deal of forgiveness. So what's it look like? Well, it always starts the same way. Go back to the story with me. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Okay. Every story of forgiveness begins as a story of offense, a story of hurt. How does the son hurt his father? How does he sin against his father? It sort of starts right here. What's he doing? Yeah, yeah, Dreamer reminds us, it's sort of like he's saying, you know, I wish you were dead. You got a will, right? Don't you have a will? And in that will, don't you and mama have a whole lot of money? And you got two sons, right? And in that will, doesn't it say that when you die, half of everything just goes to me? Well, why don't we just act like you're dead now? Why don't you just act dead and divide up the will and give me what's coming to me now? It's an incredible disregard for relationship with the father. You see that? He doesn't want the father's love. He wants the father's money. It's a a deep betrayal of the love of the father. And this, by every signal, is an amazing father. But he has no interest in the relationship. This this blatant disregard for the father's heart in, in exchange simply for the father's money. let's just have you act as if you've died and give me everything coming to me and I will be gone from here. It's it's that incredible offense. But but then notice the, the change, verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, 
He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Now, let me ask you, has he had a genuine change of heart? What do you think? He's sorry, but is he really sorry? Do you think he is acknowledging the pain he's caused the father? Or is he simply acknowledging, I'm starving to death, and I know one place on earth that has food. I ain't got nothing, I got nobody to help me, but I know there's one man out there who's actually pretty generous and he hires people, and I'm gonna go see if I can at least get a job with them. It turns out it's my dad. Is it a total change of heart? I don't know. I'm inclined to think not. I'm not sure he gets it. I think he gets that he's hungry. I think he gets that he's blown it. I think he gets that he's used up everybody in his life. But I'm not sure he really understands the pain he's caused his father. I'm not sure. But, but, But this is the point. If you want to talk about everyday forgiveness, this is where it starts. And it always starts with some kind of emotional mess. It always starts with a whole lot of questions that you want answers to. I want to know, is he really sorry? I want to hear the story. I want to hear where he's been. I want to see an account of where the money went. I want to know what he expects now. I want to know when you come home to me, do you think that we're just going to rewrite the will and put you back in it? You see, I would have a thousand questions. Where have you been? Who have you been with? Why didn't you call? You didn't answer my texts. I mean, you understand? But you will have to start the process of forgiving before all of your questions are answered. And some of your questions will never have answers. It's just a mess. You ever had to try to forgive somebody and and then you get into the, well, you know, I stopped talking to you only because you stopped talking to me. And then she says, no, no, you're not putting this back on me. You're the one that stopped talking first. I saw you down at the frosty freeze, and I threw up my hand to wave, and you turned the other way. And that's what I said. I ain't having nothing to do with her anymore. It's the frosty freeze. You quit talking to me. No, I only quit talking to you because you quit talking to me. You know how that works? Who got mad first? Who hurt who first? I only did that to you because you did this to me. You see, it's always a mess. Your spouse cheats on you. You find out he comes back home and, and you start the interrogation. Who was she? What's her name? How did you meet her? What did you do together? What did you tell her? Was she ever in the house with my children? Was she ever in my bed? How long has this been going on? That day that I called and you told me that you were out of town, where were you? And when the phone is rang and I pick up the phone and nobody talks, is that always heard? Do you understand? It's just question after question. And the more you try to forgive, the more the questions multiply. And this is what I'm telling you. The process of forgiveness is going to have to start probably a long time before you get all your questions answered. And at some point, you're going to have to just leave the questions because some of them will never have answers This is what's amazing about the father. When the son comes home, he's got the speech ready, but the father doesn't even hear it. 
The father interrupts it. He just starts with the party and moves right on. This is the, the, the quickness, the completeness of the father's forgiveness. He really doesn't have to have his questions answered. All he knows is, is enough for him. My son, who I thought was gone forever, is home now. Let the party begin. You understand? This is everyday forgiveness now, people. You're probably going to have to start the forgiving long before you start getting your questions answered. And that's difficult. But your questions are part of what you're going to have to let go. I mean, you will never, ever unscramble all the eggs. You won't. So when he finally came to his senses, verse 17, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Listen, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Okay, this is a really interesting part of the story, but it's something that you probably really need to think through, and and, and it is simply this. Let me say it first, and then we'll break it down. Forgiveness of the offense is not the same as restoration of the relationship. These are two different things, and this is what causes a lot of people to stop before they even start. Because you're starting to say, wait, you're expecting, you're expecting me to let her be my friend again? No, I'm not talking at all about the restoration of the relationship yet. But he cheated on me, and you think I'm supposed to let him come on back home and be my husband? I'm not talking about restoration of the relationship yet. These are two separate things. We're talking about the forgiveness of the offense, and forgiveness and restoration sometimes go together, but they don't always go together. Sometimes forgiveness is genuine and complete, and at the very same time, the relationship will not be restored. It's not always possible to restore the relationship. Sometimes a person you must forgive is already dead. Do you understand? So restoration and forgiveness are separate. This is what the son illustrates. He recognizes this. He hopes for forgiveness. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, so let me come and just have a job and a paycheck. I'll live in the barn. We won't cross paths. I'll never come back to the house. You understand? He wants forgiveness, but he's not asking for restoration. They're two separate things. They are always two separate things. Now, I'm not saying that restoration isn't something that we should pursue, but I'm telling you, it's not always possible, and forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. Now, at the end of this series, the very last message, the title is, Do We Have to Be Friends Again? And I want us to talk a little bit more about restoration. But in this story, understand this right here. On the front end of forgiveness, you don't necessarily know at this point what the relationship's going to look like. And that's one of those questions that just might not have an answer yet. But you can still get on with the business of forgiving. Forgiving the offense is not the same as restoring the relationship. So he returned home to his father, verse 20. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now, how do you explain that? While he was a long way off, the father saw him coming. Yeah, the father's looking, the father's watching. The father has never stopped looking up the road. The father has never stopped leaving the porch light on for his son. It's beautiful. And then, filled with love and compassion... 
The father ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And you and I both know the son has a long speech plan. He's been practicing it for miles. And we've been hearing it. We know the whole speech. But he never even gets to give the whole speech because the father interrupts the speech for the party. The father never even listens to the apology. The father just put a ring on him, put a robe on him, put sandals on his feet, kill the calf. We're going to celebrate. My my son who was lost is found. You understand? This is what I mean when I say the father's forgiveness is instantaneous. It's quick. It's complete. It's perfect. And that's possible for me and you. But let's all admit it's hard. I don't know if you can forgive perfectly like that. So maybe this. Maybe you have to settle for forgiving slowly a little at a time. And if that's all you can do, then that's what you do. I don't know if I can forgive perfectly, but, but I can give it a shot. I can forgive the best way I can forgive. And honestly, for me, it's usually kind of slowly, a little at a time. I'd love to be more like this father. It turns out I'm just more like me. But back in my seminary days, I lived in Louisville, Casey and I. Uh, I have a bachelor in fine arts. I'm a painter. Some of you know that. Some of you don't know that. In Louisville, I was much more active in the arts community. Um, I had a painting, a, a, a Christian painting on display publicly. Uh, it was an illustration of Jairus' daughter. It's a story in the New Testament where Jesus raises uh, a girl from the dead. Um, I was really proud of it. Even to this day, it's, it's one of my favorite paintings that I've done. I, I, I love uh, I, I feel like I was successful in that painting. But here's the thing. It was up about a week, and then this guy who, who I didn't know and who didn't know me, he wrote a public critique. I mean, he blistered this thing. He hated this painting, and the way he talked, it's like he hated me. He, he, he called into question whoever it was who painted this thing. Well, that would be me, you understand? Whoever painted this, and, and he, he just ripped it to shreds. He said that I painted this young girl in a bed, and that made her look seductive, and I was making the the scriptural story seductive. What? I was sort of thinking she was, you know, dead, and I figured they laid her somewhere, and a bed was as good as, I mean, she was coming out of bed because she was dead, but but somehow that was a little angry still. (laughs) He thought that that was seductive, understand, and that was just the beginning, I mean, he said, whoever painted this can't possibly be a Christian. I mean, he said that, and on and on and on. He's talking about me, and, and he put that out publicly. So there was a community that now was now talking about this painting, and whoever it was who painted it, that was me. Well, he signed his name to it, so I tried to find him. I mean, I want to talk to him honestly. It, the, the criticism of the painting was, was not what made me angry. I, I could deal with that. It's just that after he did that publicly, after he was so willing to run me down, run down my work, and do that publicly, he would not talk to me face to face. He would not even speak to me on the phone. He wouldn't answer an email. He would not let me visit. He would not acknowledge me. And that's what made me angry. He would never, ever speak to me face to face, only talking about me in public, and, and that really, really made me angry. But here's the thing. I mean, I, I kind of hated this guy, but our paths never crossed. 
I didn't really know him, and he didn't really know me. So it's kind of easy in some ways to hate somebody that you never really have to see. And that was sort of my situation. I kind of hated him, but he was not in my life. He didn't matter. But, but here's where the story gets juicy. Uh, I was a doctoral student at the seminary. This guy was a seminary student, and he signed up for a course that I was grading. Yeah, ain't God good. Yeah, yeah. He signs up for the course that I'm grading, which means when this guy writes a paper, I get to grade it. He graded my painting, I'd be grading his papers. And it occurred to me, I can flunk his tail all the way out of seminary. And I thought about it. I don't, I can't imagine he didn't know who I was, but even then he wouldn't acknowledge what had happened in the past. Oh, but I knew. I knew. First time he turned a paper in, I would have loved to have taken my red marker. But I did. I, I, I mean, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. I, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't want to be that man. At the same time, I don't want to forgive this guy. It would help if he would acknowledge even that it was he was the one who did all that, and there's no question. It would help if he talked to me, but he, he wouldn't. I still decided I needed to forgive him, to understand I'm seeing him every day, and I'm in the position to grade his papers. I, I give him an A, a B, a C, or a D. I mean, I get to do that. I'll be really honest with you. At first, every time I would see him, I would think about the painting, and I would think about the words he used to describe me, and my work, and I would think about all the times I called or, or, or wrote, and he would not respond to me. I would think about that. Almost every time I saw him, I thought about that first. But, but here's what I'm telling you. I, I made up my mind to forgive him, and, and with time, at some point, I got to where I would see him, and I would not think about the painting. I got to where I could see him, and I wouldn't think about that stuff at all. It, it didn't happen immediately. I wish I could say I prayed and I saw the light. and uh, it, it didn't. It, it was a slow kind of miracle. It was a miracle. But I'm just saying, this is everyday life, people. And, and you may have to settle for forgiving slowly. I, I hope you're better at it than I am. I hope it doesn't take as much time with you as it does with me. But, but, but if it comes slowly, then, then, then still slowly. Just a little at a time. Keep forgiving. See, I've been hating this guy from a distance for so long, and hate is a hard habit to break. And sometimes you have to break that hate habit uh, over and over and over before you finally break it for good. But, but this is what we're talking about sometimes, making a fresh decision to forgive if you've got to decide every single day. But we don't have an option. This is what we do because we follow Christ, because this is what Christ requires of us. We forgive. It, it may be just slowly, a little at a time, if that's the best you can do, then that's what you offer. That's what you do. God knows what you can do. I'm not a perfect forgiver. I'm kind of a slow, little-at-a-time forgiver, but, uh, but I'll get there. You'll get there, too, a little at a time. 
Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Now, remember, I said, that was a long story. The son had a long story. And if this was your son coming home, you'd want to hear the story. Now, you might see him coming down the driveway, but you'd be waiting there by the door like this. You know, you'd want to let him talk. Because he's got some explaining to do. Where have you been? What happened to the money? What do you possibly think you're going to get from me now? I mean, you understand that story would be delicious. And and there would be some justification in, in putting the son through it. I mean, you know, you don't have to really punish him, but at least make sure he knows how sorry he is. You understand? But the father isn't even interested in the story. You get the idea from this father that this stuff is never going to come up. It's never going to come up. He's just not going to ask. It's amazing. Now, I said the elder brother is your typical unforgiver. He's all about the story, isn't he? As a matter of fact, he doesn't even know the story, but he's already put it together in his head. What's he say? This son of yours, he's been out, and he comes home after squandering all your money on prostitutes. Okay, wait. We read this story together. Did I miss the prostitute part? Now, there were pigs and a famine, two sons, a farmer, that kind of thing. But does that ever say anything about prostitutes? You see, we don't know that the young son was out with prostitutes. We don't know that at all. But the elder brother thinks he knows that. You know, this is what anger does. It makes you feel omniscient. I know why you did that. I know exactly why you said that. I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. You don't read minds. You don't know what people are thinking and doing. You have no idea. Now, what this elder brother is actually telling us is what he would have done if he were out there with money. Understand? He would have been with prostitutes. That's what's in his heart. We don't know anything about the heart of the younger brother. He's all about the story. He's already put it together in his head, and he really wants to get it all out. But the father is past it. He's past that. Forgive and forget, right? Well, that's the thing. I don't know how to forget. Do you? I don't know how to forget. I can say I forgive you, but I don't know that I will ever not remember what you've done. And I want you to understand something very plainly, brothers and sisters. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We all know that you can't forget. Forgetting is not what you're being asked to do. Forgiveness is something else. Let me lay this out very practically. You cannot forget what they have done. But you can choose never to bring it up again. That you can choose. I may not be able to forget what you've done to me. But at some point I can make a choice that I will not let it stand between us. Do you understand? I can never forget what you've done. But I can guarantee that from this day forward, I won't bring it up again. That's the choice you can make. And it's really kind of interesting that once you stop bringing it up, 
you'll think of it less. You may never completely forget, but at the very least, you can stop practicing to remember. And some of you practice the memory every single day, maybe multiple times a day. You continue to go over what she said and what he did to you and how it hurt and how humiliated you were and how you like to punish him now. You see, you, you, you practice remembering. And this is what I'm saying. You can stop that. You may never fully forget, but you can stop practicing to remember. And by the power of the Lord Jesus, you don't have to keep bringing it up. You can stop talking about it. Let it go. I can't possibly forget, but I can guarantee you that from this day forward, I'm not going to let it stand between us. Father doesn't ask to hear the story. I'm not even sure he listened to the apology because that forgiveness was coming from his own heart, wasn't coming from the deservingness of the son. Put a robe on his back, the father says. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. All of these gifts at the end. It's, it's amazing. He comes back. It's like he's won the price is right. Put a robe on his back. Put shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. What are, these are all signs of sonship. They're signs of acceptance and belonging. You are not going to be a servant in this house. You're a son. You're going to dress like a son. I'm going to treat you like a son. I thought you were dead. Now you're alive. Let the celebration begin. You understand? All of these gifts, it's amazing, the gifts. But, but bottom line, in the end, forgiveness is the gift. Forgiveness is the gift that you and I must give freely. It's a gift. No, they don't deserve it. They may never deserve it. They may not be completely sorry. They may not even understand what they've done to you. But this is what I'm telling you. At some point, forgiveness is is your way forward. It's your way out of the prison of your memories. It's your way to break the hold, the power that they continue to have over you. Forgiveness is the only way to healing for your heart. But it requires a willingness to offer the forgiveness freely, like a gift. No strings attached. Asking for nothing in return. Free forgiveness. Which, by the way, is exactly how the Father has forgiven you. Once you're aware of the free gift of forgiveness you have received, then you'll find the power to extend that gift to others. Pray with me. God, somewhere out there today is my friend Carson who once wrote a blistering review of my artwork and published it, humiliated me, refused to give me the dignity of a conversation face-to-face. Somewhere, Lord, he's out there today pastoring a church, probably preaching on forgiveness. I ask you, Lord, to bless him. Make his life so rich and full. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will shower him with mercy and grace even as you have showered me with mercy and grace. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you never treat us as our sins deserve. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you remove my sins as far as east is from the west. 
Lord, I continue to remember, but Lord, you never, ever bring it up again. My sin is gone. Thank you, Lord, for grace. It is amazing grace. Lord, I pray that in my daily life, as people disappoint me, as people slight me, as people criticize or hurt me, Lord, I just pray that I can forgive in advance. Lord, I just pray that you'll help me always to remember the grace that has extended me. Make me more willing, Lord, to extend the grace and mercy to others. Now, Lord Jesus, every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house Some of us have an incredible lift of forgiveness to muscle. We know that it's not in us to do it, Lord. But we continue to say, Lord Jesus, if it's a miracle that you're willing to work in our hearts, then take our hearts and do your miracle, do your work, Lord. Teach us how to love and forgive as you love and forgive us. We cannot do this on our own, but Lord Jesus, by your power, by your mercy, we can become merciful. So, Lord Jesus, let it be so. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the merciful, the gracious Savior. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask you to pray. If you've got that person in your heart that's so difficult to forgive, you should begin praying for them now. Admit your feelings, admit your anger before God. We're not asking to pretend it's not there, but ask God to give you some new eyes to see, some new heart to love and forgive. Ask Jesus to begin the miracle in your heart. The altar's open if you wish to come and pray for yourself or for someone else. If your obedience name requires a public decision, come to the front and I'll walk you through what you need to do. If you have a physical need for healing, the deacons will meet you on the baptistry side to pray for you. Whatever, whatever burden on your heart today, will you come and give it now to the Lord Jesus as we sing? Please.